Uh, Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. Hear now God's Word. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and to those who are near, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. The White House Chief of Staff is considered to be one of the most powerful positions in all of the country, primarily because he controls access to the president and to the Oval Office. Who will get the President's ear? Who will receive the President's favor? You will have to go through through the Chief of Staff if you're going to see the President. He is the mediator between the public and the President. If I might use this metaphor, the Son is the Chief of Staff for the Father. We must go through him in order to have access to the Father. He is our mediator, but he does far more than any presidential chief of staff. And so in our text today, I want us to focus on verse 18. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. I want to begin by reading a quote from Dr. Lloyd-Jones that introduced introduces this text by summarizing it and then back up and take a look at the various parts of it. He said, here is here in this statement, the apostle reaches the grand climax of the mighty argument which begins in the 11th verse of the second chapter of, of this epistle. There is nothing beyond this. This is the very top, the acme. This is the quintessence of the Christian faith and the Christian position. There is no doubt, therefore, that we are looking at and considering one of the greatest and most glorious statements that is to be found in the whole range of Scripture. To me, it has been a thrilling experience to take these steps with the Apostle, step by step, each time we climb higher and higher and higher, but at last we have reached the top, We are standing on the summit. We have arrived at the Grand Plateau, and we are just looking, looking and gazing with astonishment and amazement at the height to which we have been brought. Indeed, to me, the statement before us is not only stupendous, it is staggering. Through him, we both have access, access by one spirit unto the Father. It is remarkable how often we read through a text like this, if we read a text like this at all, and we don't pause to consider its meaning, its power, and its magnitude. In fact, I'd like to suggest most of our problems in life are because we blow past things like this. We think it's trivial or it's a platitude or something, but this 
is eternal truth. And if we pause long enough to consider that and, and understand what this means, it changes everything. Everything. What does it mean? What is it worth to have access to a perfect, merciful, loving, and gracious Father? I don't know what kind of father you have had, if you had a father at all. But I am confident that he was less than perfect, and probably far less than perfect. But this text says that you have access to the perfect, all-powerful, all-wise God, and that he loves you, and he welcomes you into his presence. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you act on that? Now, we just finished hearing some excellent Sunday school lessons by Roy Bradley on the doctrine of the Trinity, and I want to point out that this verse is one of the great Trinitarian verses. Through him, the Son, by the Holy Spirit who works in us, we have access to the Father. The three persons of the Trinity work in harmony to accomplish our salvation. This is the essence of Christianity. This Trinitarian doctrine distinguishes our Christian faith from every other faith. We should notice that this verse informs us that the triune God is interested in you. And he's interested in your salvation. And that they are working together in perfect harmony to accomplish that for you. Each person of the Trinity plays a different role. The Father initiated the plan. The Son volunteered to do the work. And the Spirit applies that work to us and in us and for us. The first chapter of Ephesians tells us how the Father planned from all eternity. We read phrases like this in chapter 1, according to the good pleasure of His will, according to the mystery of His will, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things after the counsel of His will. And then the Father sent His Son. In John 17, 4, in the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we read, I have glor-, Jesus said, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. You see, you were the object of his everlasting love. We spoke this morning in Sunday school about love has to have an object. Love does Love isn't floating around in the air by itself. Like faith, it has to have an object, and you are the object of this Trinitarian love. John 6, 27-39, Jesus said, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will in no wise cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, But the will of him who sent me, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that all of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. 
And he's talking about you. So after the Father's plan is established, the Son comes to execute the plan. He was given work to do, and he did it. And so when we come to the cross, Jesus can say, it is finished. Philippians 2, 6-8, the Son, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. He assumed our flesh. He became poor. He suffered. He lived among us. He bore our sins in his body. He was killed. He was buried. He was made to be sin. Our iniquities were laid upon him. By his stripes we are healed. And thus, as we read in Hebrews 12, we look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And And then we turn in this passage to consider the work of the Spirit. It's interesting that of the three persons of the Godhead, we seem to know the least about the Holy Spirit. We talk about Him the least. He's he's in the background. He does not call attention to Himself. In fact, His primary work is that He is the one who deals with us individually. He applies the work of Christ to you and to me, personally, by name. It is the Spirit who convicts us of sin and calls us, draws us. Sanctification is the ongoing work of salvation. It is the ongoing daily work of the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit. It is the Spirit that bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It is the Spirit then that gives us assurance of salvation as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.22, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He does this for us individually, and he also does it to build up the church, and so he fills the church with his presence. You see, if each of you are filled with the Spirit, if each of us are filled with the Spirit, then the Spirit is clearly present here. And he's working in us and through us and for us and using one another as his instruments of grace to shape us and mature us and bring us along. So when we pull back from that or we withdraw from that or we don't take advantage of that and we try to go it alone, then it's going to be disastrous. But he's called us into that communion of love, into that fellowship. It's hard sometimes. It's extremely hard. But it's good. You see, as the Son reveals the Father, so the Spirit reveals the Son. This is that mutual love, self-sacrifice. Here, no, let me do it for you, and I'll do this for you. So the Spirit is, is serving the Father and the Son. Now, you see, our sin problem was so great that it took all three persons of the Godhead to deal with it. We are so prone to dismiss or minimize our sin, but it is not that simple. We can't just say, well, 
God is love, and He's a very forgiving God, and so He must just overlook our sins. And there are a lot of people who think that's what God does. No, sin is such a profound problem that it required the eternal counsel of the triune God from all eternity. God the Father had to plan and elect before the foundation of the world a people for himself. God the Son had to leave glory and had to enter into this world. He had to endure all that he endured in order to rescue us from our sins. And God the Spirit had to work, and he continues to work, to bring our salvation to completion. Now this is staggering to think about. But the three persons of the Trinity love us so much that they do all this for us. The Eternal Father has his eye on you. He knows how many hairs on your head. He knows you. He's interested in you. You say, well, why is all this stuff happening in my life? Well, I suspect all that stuff is happening in your life because of sin. And what he's doing is he's loving you. He's sometimes chastising you. He's teaching you. He gave you a church. He gave you family. He gave you friends. He gave you prayer. He gave you his word. He gave you his spirit. He, he just keeps giving. And he wants you to learn to stand on that and to actually believe it and do it and use it. And lo and behold, it's magic. Life starts getting better. Family starts getting better. Relationships get better when I do what he says. Really. Not just scoot it to the side, not as something that's kind of a footnote in my life, but something that is central. The Eternal Father has his eye on you. The Son loves you so much that he laid down his life for you. And the Holy Spirit loves you enough to come to you in particular to draw you to himself and to work in you and for you this great salvation. And so I ask you this morning, what do you think about that? Do you think about that? And what is the great object of salvation? That we might know God as our Father. Jews and Gentiles alike, he says, come to the Father as one body. This is the apex of God's plan. It is not about passing theology tests. It's not about our team being better than the team down the street, the church down the road. It is not about me showing everybody else how super spiritual I am. It is not... It is about one thing, that we may know the Father. Do you know the Father? You have all the rest of it right, and if you don't have that, you're missing the point. Reconciliation, you see, is unbelievably great. To have the enmity removed between us and God, to no longer be under God's wrath, but you see, it gets even better than that. We could have enmity between us, perhaps, as individuals, and not be speaking to each other. We could be avoiding one another. We could even be enraged with one another. And we could, for a variety of reasons, agree to a truce, a ceasefire, a suspension of hostilities. Okay, let's just forget it. Let's 
Let bygones be bygones. Let's just put this aside, and then the next time we see each other, we avoid each other. I'm not ever sitting near them at church. I'm going to look the other way. I'm going to go around them. I'm going to avoid engaging them. I I still can't believe what they did. We could even enter a peace treaty. You see, God takes things further. He doesn't just forgive us and then have nothing to do with us. Okay, I forgive you. Now get out of my way. Get out of here. I'm tired of looking at you. He brings us to a place of intimacy with Him. We become His children. We have complete access to Him. The word access means to approach, or literally an introduction, like coming into the court. We're being presented before the King by name. Let me introduce Randy to you. And you're brought in. We are assured that God is pleased to have us in His presence. We're welcome. He is favorably disposed toward us. Can you imagine? Us? He's favorably disposed toward us. Jesus doesn't just enable this. He actually secures it. And the Spirit ushers us into the presence of God. John 17, 3 and 4, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do, Jesus said. As a result, we don't timidly approach the Father. What does Hebrews say? Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Can you imagine you're clean all the way to the bone? You are pure. You recall how it worked in the tabernacle and the temple? People couldn't enter the holy place, much less the holy of holies. They stayed in the outer court. The priests could go into the holy place, but they couldn't go into the holy of holies. Only the high priest could go in once a year under very strict rules and regulations. And even then, it was risky business. He wore bells. And the people listened to see if the bells were still ringing. To see if he would come out alive. And if his bells stopped ringing, then everyone would know something horribly went wrong. But know by the work of Christ and the Spirit that we have full access to the Father. The veil which separated the Holy of Holies from all the priests and all the people has now been ripped open. For Christ, 1 Peter 3.18, also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That He might bring us to God. 
This is the goal of our salvation. Ephesians 2.13, we are no longer far off, but we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Not just near. We have been brought face to face with the Father. We have fellowship. We have communion with the Holy One. Notice that it isn't just access to, the, to God, but to the Father, to our Father. Verse 16 said, and that He might reconcile them both to God, and now He says we have access to the Father. You see, through the work of Jesus and the application of that work to us by the Holy Spirit, God becomes our Father. This is why Jesus, when He taught us to pray, told us to say, Our Father. And in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Me. And John also wrote, And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So, how do you approach God? Today's sermon is short. Because I think the point is simple. And important. If you don't know God, if He's not your Father, if He's not the one that you recognize loves you, not because, but in spite of, Well, actually it is because, but it's not because of you. It's because of Him. It's because of Christ. Because of what He's done for you. You come to Him as the triune one who has loved you from eternity past and has worked in harmony to save you from eternal death and to give you eternal life. Do you see Him as your Father? Do you come boldly to the throne of grace? Do you come often? you come knowing that you have full access? You don't have to sneak in. You don't have to stand in the corner and hope that God isn't angry with you again today. God poured out His wrath on Christ that was due to us. He stood in our place as our substitute. The propitiation for our sins, that wrath was averted. Now He looks at us and He smiles as a parent looks at a young child and is glad that we're in His presence. Do you understand that Christ accomplished this for you? And you can stop trying. And here's what the Spirit has done for you. Romans 8, 14-17 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. 
heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. He is your perfect Father. He loves to see you. He loves to hear from you. For through Christ, we have access by the Spirit to the Father. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for your perfect plan of salvation, born in eternity, executed in time, and everlasting in nature. We thank you for sending your Son, and we thank you, Jesus, for stepping down from your place of glory to become like us, to live in the flesh, to suffer and die for us, and to do the hard work of salvation for us. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for accomplishing that work and applying, uh, or, or applying that accomplished work to us and for working in us to will and to do the Father's good pleasure. Salvation is of the Lord. It is you, the triune God of all glory, who is worthy of our praise. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Ephesians 2.18 For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. There is one thing, uh, there is one other thing that we see in this verse that brings us to the communion table. This access that we have to the Father speaks of both having the same access by one Spirit. So says Chrysostom, we came not of ourselves, but He brought us in. There is a similar passage found in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered, suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. While the focus of this verse is upon our access to the Father, we must not miss the fact that this also speaks of our unity and of our communion that is accomplished by the Spirit as well. The unity of the whole church as united to the Father through the Son and in the Spirit is here summed up in one sentence. Jesus, in praying for his disciples, said this in John 17, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of the twelve, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. It's in our communion that the world sees So in this passage, Jesus was praying for you and me and for our church. Indeed, Paul says in Romans 8, 34 and 35, that Jesus is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession. 
and intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Father has taken this strange assortment of broken people and he brought us together by the work of his Son and through the work of the Spirit and he made us family. He now invites us to his table to commune with him and to commune with one another. Grant, O God, that we may not be tempted to stray from so great a salvation, but that we may be firmly established in the truth of your holy gospel. May we never forget that our Lord Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, the only life. Teach us to see beyond the moment, to see with eyes of faith, to walk by faith and not by sight, for indeed you have promised and you are faithful. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let the gracious promises contained in your word quicken our obedience, and may the dreadful warnings keep us from sin and hasten our repentance. Bless now this Lord's Day with rest and delight in you and in your people as we go to feast. May we do so with all our might, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen.